Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's obviously a horrible disease, but I think the best thing that anybody can ever do is remember her for the person that she was and all the good that she did. And I would encourage everybody listening to this to, you know, help in the same way that she helped by, you know, visiting tcjfund.org, help the J Fund Foundation. They're a wonderful organization. They do tremendous things. A lot to get to on the podcast this week, and we're going to start with kind of the tragic situation surrounding the death of Tom Coughlin's wife, Judy, and what is going on right now with the family's charitable foundation called the J Fund. So we'll jump into that here right off the jump. We'll also have takes on, of course, the Giants win over the Texans, Odell Beckham watch, and are the Giants in trouble this week against the Lions? All of that coming up next on the program, but first and foremost... It's the Giants Wire podcast. Welcome to the show. Ryan O'Leary here, joined as always by Dan Benton. He's the managing editor of USA Today's Giants Wire. Dan, how you doing this week? It's fun, man. It's good. It's good to be back into the swing of things. Uh, Giants come back with a win. Obviously, that keeps things entertaining after so many years of futility. So it's uh, for the Giants, for their fans, for the writers, it's, it's a lot more fun. No doubt. It's been a really fun season. We're going to be getting to a lot of things in this episode of the podcast of course, uh, the viral video alert with Brian Dayball losing his mind on a reserve offensive lineman, the OBJ watch, uh, so much to get to here during the show. But we wanted to start with something that you know we probably could have gotten to earlier in the month. Dan, it's a big story around the Giants and their organization. Uh, you know, Former Giants coach Tom Coughlin announcing the death of his wife, Judy, earlier this month. I know that hits you personally. Um, in a way, and we'll get you to talk about it. She was 77 years old. She was laid to rest this week. Coughlin announced last year that he had become the caretaker of his wife after she was diagnosed with this uh, brain disease called progressive supernuclear palsy. It's an incurable disease. It erodes an individual's ability to walk, speak, think, and control body movement. Just a horrible, horrible thing. I know, Dan, Judy was like this bright spot around the organization. Tom Coughlin called her like the mom of the team, right? It's a tough one, right? Uh, just uh, just such a, a beautiful person like Judy Coughlin going through this kind of thing and even Tom going through it as her caretaker. I mean, talk a little bit about, you know, how you're feeling this month, you know, getting this news. Well, I, I got to tell you, um, I initially got the email from the J Fund Foundation, who I've worked with very closely for, you know, many, many years now. It was almost like I had lost my own relative. And I'm not saying that in the sense that me and Judy or Tom are, are close friends or anything like that. But um, obviously, I've gotten to know them uh, through my work with the J Fund Foundation. And when I learned of her passing, uh, you know, obviously, it was unexpected and sad um, and continues to be so now and probably will continue to be so forever um, just because of what a tremendous person she was and, and, and how hard she fought to give back um, to the community, to those in need, and, and how wonderful and warm she was to everyone, whether they be reporters, fans, players, coaches, uh, personnel, scouts, you name it. It doesn't really matter. Cooks, uh, you know, cafeteria workers. Um, she never treated anybody less than. She always treated everybody like they were on the same level. And um, 
she's done so many amazing things throughout her life. The world really lost a wonderful person. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, Tom Coughlin, when he announced what was kind of going on with his wife last year, he wrote this really powerful essay that was published in the New York Times. And people can, you know, you could probably find that pretty easily. And here's just a piece of, of that essay. It's really powerful uh, that Coughlin wrote. He says, quote, I've learned firsthand caregiving is all-consuming. It is mentally and physically exhausting. Sometimes you just need a break. When Judy is having a good day, then my day is good. But then there are dark days, those days that are so full of frustration and anger. They have me feeling like a failure and pondering the unfairness of the disease. I've spent my entire life preparing for some of the biggest games a person could play, but nothing can prepare you to be a caregiver who has to watch a loved one slip away. So just powerful stuff from Tom Coughlin there, Dan, in that essay last year. And it really makes you like think about what he's gone through the last year with his wife and how painful that must have been for, for everybody, including Judy, who uh, had her mind, but really nothing else with her body, right? She, you know, she, she could probably, she was aware of things, but she wasn't able to speak or communicate, which is just horrible when you think about it. Tom Coughlin's basically telling us that He's coached in Super Bowls, won Super Bowls with the Giants, obviously, coached in huge games. Being a football coach is all-consuming in your life, but this was harder, right? Being a caregiver for his wife and watching, you know, watching this happen to her uh, was probably the hardest thing he's ever gone through. Reading that kind of – that affected me, reading it, you know, and I don't know how – it's just really powerful stuff. I don't know how it doesn't affect you. You're absolutely right. It just I think anybody can empathize with the situation that Tom found himself – in whether you're married, uh, dating, or you know you're looking at it like it could be your mother, your father, your uncle, your brother, your sister. It doesn't doesn't really matter. I think everybody can empathize with the pain that you would experience watching someone go through what Judy went through. And and I just go back to how unfair that was for her and the family. And and of course you you have to empathize with her as well uh, to be in that situation where you're essentially imprisoned in your own mind. Um, it's obviously a horrible disease, but I think the best thing that anybody can ever do is remember her for the person that she was and all the good that she did. And I would encourage everybody listening to this to, you know, help in the same way that she helped by, you know, visiting tcjfund.org, help the J Fund Foundation. They're a wonderful organization. They do tremendous things. Um, they help the people who need the help most. And um, I cannot possibly overstate how important they are to you know, people who are going through horrible things, just like Tom and his family had gone through, uh, especially as it comes to childhood cancer and uh, not just childhood cancer, but now obviously they have a wing uh, for caregivers uh, because of what Tom has gone through and because of what Judy had gone through. And um, again, I just can't possibly overstate enough how important that organization is and how many wonderful things they do. And I'd encourage everybody to get involved, whether it's donating uh, or, you know, taking part in some of their auctions they often they often auction away you know wonderful things and they have annual events where you you could pay and 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 go there uh have dinner uh meet former giants meet tom himself meet players um they're just just a really all-around wonderful organization and any help would be very much appreciated it's an organization that's really easy to get behind right i mean it was created by tom coughlin back in the 90s uh, the J Fund is named after a player that that Tom Coughlin coached in college, right? He died of leukemia. His name was Jay McGillis. Uh, and that foundation, they have a couple different programs. Now the caregiver program is a new piece to it. But that foundation overall has raised, uh, I think it's $13 million for families facing childhood cancer. I mean, that's just an, mm-hmm. it's an, it's an easy, easy, easy 
thing to get behind, uh, especially if you're a fan of the Giants and you have the means and you want to support Tom Coughlin and and you know just families in need. I I could get behind childhood cancer. I mean, supporting that Dan and helping mm-hmm. you know put an end to that as much as possible. I, that's something that's easy for me to get get behind. Yeah, talk, and they, talk, and they oh, do wonderful ahead. things with uh, yeah. with with the you know the parents of of the child, yeah. the children yeah. who, who are unfortunately suffering, and um, and you know people often forget about what the parents go through in those situations, not just necessarily with dealing with children who have cancer, but then trying to get through everyday life. And, um, you know, the J fund goes above and beyond to help those families in whatever way they could possibly help them, not just helping the children with cancer, but helping the parents get through, uh, that difficult time, both financially, emotionally, physically. And, um, Again, I can't I can't overstate how wonderful the J Fund Foundation is and everything that Judy did for them and in her honor and, and just because of the cause that it is, how wonderful it is, I, I would encourage everyone to get involved in any way that they can. Yeah, as a as a parent, this whole conversation's hitting me, Dan. I got a one year old. Uh how do how can people donate again? Just, can you give us that site one more time? Absolutely. You can go to TCJFund.org. That's TCJFund.org. All right. So if you can help and get involved or want to, um, that's how you do it. Uh, we're going to set our fantasy lineups with the huddle.com and get back to talking about this ridiculous, crazy seven and two Giants team, Dan, right after this. This is the typical sports book fantasy minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Corey Benini with the huddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number 11. New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones versus the Detroit Lions. Jones isn't an option for the faint of heart. He has 20 or more fantasy points in two of the last three games, but just 10.8 sandwich in between. Jones' role has been mostly that of a game manager in 2022, and he's thrown zero touchdown passes in four of nine contests. This week, Preston versus Detroit's laughable defense of the position. No team has given up more fantasy points on the year, and much of the success is due to four rushing touchdowns allowed. This profiles well for a gamble on Jones in a week in which three viable starting quarterbacks are on bye. Running back Isaiah Pacheco at Los Angeles Chargers. We saw him take over the backfield last week with 16 carries, but he has no role as a receiver, which makes him a risky play when facing a tough ground matchup. Luckily, this isn't one of them. LA has allowed the second most rushing yards per game since week 5, and a touchdown every 22 attempts is the 7th highest frequency. Barring something freaky happening, the rookie should be a strong fantasy play as LA looks to contend with all of the weapons in KC's powerful offense. Wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones at Buffalo Bills. He has quietly emerged as one of the best PPR number 3 receiving options in fantasy over the last six weeks. Peoples-Jones has logged at least nine PPR points in three of those contests, and he has more than 11 fantasy points in four straight. It's fair to assume that the attention paid to Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper will work in concert with a likely pass-heavy script from Cleveland to get Peoples-Jones into double figures yet again. Don't be scared off by the name of Buffalo. This defense has yielded the fourth most yards per game to wide receivers since week five, and only five defenses have allowed receivers to score at a higher clip. New York Jets tight end Tyler Conklin at New England. In the Week 8 Patriots win, Conklin racked up a pair of touchdowns on six catches for 79 yards. New England has struggled to contain the position all year, and it shouldn't come as a surprise if Conklin once again finds the end zone. Even still, Conklin is a fringe fantasy play in most formats, but deserves a lineup spot for those desperate to wager on another touchdown. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out The Huddle.
sportsbookfantasyminute.com. That was your typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Win your fantasy football league with the huddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, we're back. Uh, a couple different topics we wanted to get to off of this Texans win. Again, the Giants 7-2. Seven 7-2, and two. Seven and two, Dan. Could be 8-2 and two because we're going to be talking about the Giants hosting the Lions this week here coming up in just a little bit. But we have a viral video alert. Let's start here. Uh, Coach Brian Dayball, Dan, absolutely losing his mind on a reserve offensive lineman. His name is Jack Anderson. Uh, Dayball was so pissed that he went back for more. Uh, it was all <laughs> after an Anderson. Anderson had a false start penalty on a fourth and one that Dayball really wanted to go for because, again, he gave Anderson the business uh, and then went back for more for a second, a second round just to give it to him a little bit more. What was your take on the tirade? I know Dayball came out and it was like kind of, oh, man, I... Uh, kind of apologetic, saying, "Guys, I, I, you know, I wish I didn't do that, but you did it, and it's uh, viral, and it's all over the place." Dayball, Dan, what was your take on the tirade? I can understand why he was so angry. Uh, obviously, you know, the Giants that that penalty didn't just, you know, push them back; it pushed them out of you know scoring range, and they had picked up the first down on the play. So, you know, that whether it was seven points or three points, it cost the Giants a score. So, I, I can understand why. Um, there was such a great amount of frustration, especially when you consider the Giants, their their margin for error is very slim. Um, so at any point, you know, losing, you know, a score, whether again, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal, that could be extremely detrimental. It didn't come back to bite him in this instance. Uh, but in the moment, you know, Dave obviously, he obviously wanted to make his opinion uh, known and he did. And then he did again. And then he did one more time just, you know, <laughs> Uh, to make sure that it was that it was hammered home, I give Anderson a ton of credit for just kind of standing there and just taking the beating. Um, and, and he did he did a good job of just taking the beating. And I know that the two spoke after the fact, and there's no hard feelings. And it's not even the first time that Dayball did it uh, this season. It wasn't even the last time he did it in the, in this particular game. Um, you know, if you remember back to Week One, he uh, he gave Daniel Jones the business on the sideline after throwing that red zone interception, and. and you know, Daniel Jones has not made that same mistake twice this season. So I imagine Jack Anderson, uh, he's going to know better next time he's out there in that jumbo formation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. And then he lied to us, Dan, after the Daniel Jones thing and told us, oh, no, I was talking to my offensive coordinator. No, 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 you weren't. Dayball, stop lying to us. But I, okay. I love the passion. I love the fire from Brian Dayball. I love the, I love everything about him. I think he was, this was a little over the top and, and maybe I'm being a ninny. I don't know, but you know, I think if Anderson, like you said, Dan, if he gave him a little bit of lip service back or snapped his head around or something, if Anderson did anything to deserve the second and third wave of that rant that, that Dave Hall went on fine. I, I'd be like, okay, you know, Jack Anderson, who the hell are you? Seventh round, but again, seventh round pick fringe of the roster guy. You just said he's probably only out there because the Giants wanted to go heavy and, and f- just hammer it with Saquon Barkley. They gave it to him 35 times. I'm guessing that's why Anderson's on the field. Uh, he only played five snaps, right? But yeah. just my, come on, Dayball. You got to calm down, big fella. You know, my, I mean, I love the passion, but I, you're a head coach now. You, you got to rein it in a little bit. Give it to him, but you don't have to go back uh, for the second and third wave. I thought it was a little over the top, Dan. Uh, he's a player's coach, so I think they can kind of get over it pretty easily. It's um, 
it's not quite Bill Parcells who was going to rip into you like that on the sideline and then not apologize and, and then, then do it in the media. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Media. So uh, I, I think that apology actually goes a long way, uh, not just for Anderson, but I think all the players saw that. I don't think anybody's going to hold that against them. Uh, you know, especially when it works, you know, if, if Jack Anderson comes out and they're in that same situation again, and not only does he not make the penalty, but makes a big play, you're going to look at it like, all right, it worked with Jones. It worked with Anderson. Obviously something's getting home. Uh, you know, that'll be a bridge to cross when we get there to see if, you know, how that, you know, plays out again. Uh, but I don't think they're going to have any lack of trust in Anderson. I think if the situation calls for it, they're going to go back to him and, and, and I think it'll be water under the bridge. It was, it was a wild viral scene and, and it's probably not the last time we're going to see Dayball lose his mind on the sideline this year. I do miss those Bill Parcells press conferences, Dan. I can't, you know, those, oh, Parcells those were was the best. Those were great. Yeah. This younger generation has no idea how entertaining. Oh, it was, was so good. And Dave all. Yeah, you're right. He's just too, you know, too reasonable in the post game, you know, just too thoughtful. Uh, just, he, you know, he had cooled down. So uh, didn't really Parcells give us any sound. Doubled bites. and tripled down on that. Yeah. We need the soundbite. Dave ball. If you're going to do, if you're going to do that, you got to give us a soundbite, but he didn't do it. He was a very apologetic. Uh, now we got to get to OBJ, right? It seems oh, like go. <laughs> OBJ had this like yeah, he had a bunch of teams on his radar. Uh, Rams, you know, going back to the Rams, who he won the Super Bowl with last year. You know, Green Bay is they've been dying to get a receiver. They couldn't get one at the deadline. Uh, the 49ers are good, trying to go all in. Right. They got Christian McCaffrey. It sounds like they were on the list, but it does sound like the Giants have made the final two. It's the Giants and the Cowboys right now for the services of o- OBJ. If he does go to the Cowboys, that would be painful. That's a division rival. It's the Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, but what's te- what team's doing a better job of recruiting right now, Dan? Listen, the Cowboys, to their credit, they're going all in from Jerry Jones on down, Mike McCarthy. It Every player, everybody. yeah. They're all yeah, they're all they're pitching all it. about it. Um, and they have to. I think they have to because of the connections that Odell has to the Giants organization. He's still very close with John Mara. He's obviously extremely close friends with Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard and and, you know, Saquon kind of made a joke about that because, you know, Mika Parsons had tweeted at Odell and somebody asked Saquon about that. And Saquon kind of laughed, winked and said, I don't have to tweet him. I'll just text him. <laughs> and yeah, so, good. you know, I, I they, the Cowboys are certainly going all in, but I don't necessarily think the public pitch is what's going to sway Odell at this point. Um, you know, he wants to go to a contender. He wants to stay with whatever team he goes to for multiple years. And there's a lot of talk about whether or not the Cowboys would be willing to give that to him if they're looking at just a one or two year deal. And if that's the case and that's where they max out on him and they don't give him the kind of money he's looking for and the Giants come back with a four year offer, I think that might be ultimately what puts him over the top. But that decision is not going to be made until Odell is cleared and he's not been cleared yet. And in addition to that, it's going to be where these teams sit at the time that he's cleared because, you know, like you said, just a few weeks ago, there were multiple other teams that were very heavily involved in this and considered, you know, potential destinations that have played themselves out of the running uh, for Odell Beckham Jr. And, you know, even when you look at the Bills, who were one of those teams, you know, they're, they're kind of sliding now. And, you know, Josh Allen's hurt and, and there's a lot of uncertainty and, you know, a lot of Bills fans who were wishing that Dayball was still their coach, which kind of plays into the into the Giants' hands here. Um, you know, they're seven and two, like you said. They're off to their best start since 2008. They're, they may not be Super Bowl contenders this year, uh, but they're most certainly trending in the right direction, and that will factor into his decision as well. And this kind of boils down to the Turkey Bowl 
It, it could be the Turkey Bowl for Odell Beckham Jr., right? Yeah, uh, the Giants and Cowboys strange. play Actually, on Thanksgiving. Yeah. And if the Giants win this week, Dan, they could be eight and two. Or if they beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving on the short week, which will be a tough one. You know, it's a tough game it to win. Be. But yeah. if they do, they're nine and two. And you've got the whole, you know, yeah, the Cowboys are doing the whole social media pitch where everyone who, you know, can is on social media. Any type yep. of following is tweeting at Odell saying, hey, c- come to Dallas, baby. The Giants can play that, hey, come back home where you belong pitch, which I, which I think is perfect. You, you got to do that. Uh, there's a lot of chatter out there that the winner of the Turkey Bowl between the Cowboys and the Giants on Thanksgiving, that could be the, that could be the, <laughs> the deciding factor, Dan. That's going to put a little bit of uh, drama on that game. It's uh, it certainly makes it a little extra interesting. Uh, you know, Odell is expected to be cleared right after Thanksgiving. Um, so everything over these next two weeks is most certainly going to factor its way into his ultimate decision. Uh, and you know what? If they go in there and, you know, the Giants come out of that Thanksgiving uh, Bay game a winner, there's no way that Odell doesn't look at that and think, you know, they're beating the Cowboys without me. Uh, they have a better record than the Cowboys at this point. You know, and the Giants are most certainly in desperate need of a wide receiver. I just can't imagine a scenario where he looks at that, assuming that he's got that choice and says, no, I'm going to pass on going home and, you know, instead go to the Cowboys, the division rival who just beaten by the New York Giants. So it certainly does add a little bit of extra spice to it. Um, I think the likelihood of Odell returning to the Giants is a lot greater than most people are. You know, most people believe that it is. Uh, given everything that I've seen, everything that I've read, everything that I've heard, uh, Odell really does, he's very intrigued by the idea of returning to the New York Giants and creating this legacy for a team that appears to be headed in the right direction. And to his credit, I don't think there would be a better story in Odell's career than if he were to, to return to the New York Giants and eventually go on to win a Super Bowl. I don't, I don't think that would be topped, and I don't think there's any amount of money um, that would appeal to him at this point, probably more than that uh, potential end. Now that would that would be better than the whole LA experience winning the Super Bowl last year. That would that would top that. He, sure. He'll still tell you. He'll he'll still tweet it right now that that more than anything else, he wants the Giants to win a title, and that's all that he ever wanted for that team. So if he truly if he looks at where they're headed and truly believes that he could help put them over the top, I don't think there's going to be a better sell than that. No matter who says what and who offers what. And again, that's assuming that that Joe Shane and the Giants can figure out a way to financially maneuver enough to get Odell in um, this season and then for multiple seasons after thereafter. Um, but, you know, again, they haven't shied away from the fact that they're very open to signing Odell either. So, you know, the lines of communication are clearly there. The two sides have talked. You know, Giants players have attempted to recruit him privately. They don't have to do it publicly like Saquon said. And, and Odell has not been shy on Twitter or social media talking about, you know, his willingness to potentially return to the giants. And, you know, he even named them as one of four teams as, as recently as two weeks ago that, you know, that he was very much considering. So, you know, it's certainly possible and it may ultimately be decided on Thanksgiving day. Yep. You, you heard it here. So if Daniel Jones is chewing on a victory Turkey leg on national TV on Thanksgiving next week, Dan, OBJ could be coming to the New York Giants. That's, Boy, that's, that's what, what we're a, talking about. Could you imagine that this, listen, MetLife Stadium this season is rocking more than I've ever heard it, ever. Probably more than it's ever, that it ever has. Uh, we're talking about loud, like the old Giants stadium days. And if Odell were to return to the Giants, I think that 
that first day when he's introduced, I, I think it would register on the Richter scale. I think it would be that loud that yeah. it would register. I think I think the fans would absolutely lose their minds, especially if Odell like went out like scored a game winning touchdown or something like that. It, it it would just the house would come down in East Rutherford. Well, he'd have a great chance to score a game winning touchdown because we we don't have anyone to throw to, and, and we were hoping right. that we were hoping Kenny Galladay. You know, oh, you were writing Kenny. you were writing about an improved attitude coming into this game, and it sounded like he was going to have an expanded role. He was healthy coming out of the bye. Blah blah blah. Let's see it, Kenny. Like you have a chance to kind of rewrite the story here in the second half, and he basically got benched, right, for Isaiah Hodgins. Well, not basically. He got he got benched. <laughs> he got benched for Isaiah Hodgins. Who? Shame on me. I barely know who that is, Dan. Uh, I was like, who who caught that? Um, so Isaiah Hodgins is in. Kenny Galladay out. He plays just twenty six snaps. He was, uh, you know, not happy in the post game, right? No. You know, when he was asked about if he agreed with the benching, he said, "quote It really don't matter," which is not not a great response. Yeah, right? his it's comments not, about not, the fans were even worse. You're so. not really, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like yeah, they they don't matter either when they boo. I don't think about them or whatever he said. It really don't matter. It does matter. You're sucking. You can't catch the ball, Kenny. It does matter. So we it, this is this is why we need OBJ because we don't have a number one receiver. It's baffling how far Kenny Galladay has fallen. And, you know, there's all this speculation that maybe his hip surgery kind of did him in far worse than people thought. And no, it's Gettleman mental. just kind of it's mental. poo-pooed it. But, yeah, listen, say whatever you want about the hip and explosion and whatever. When you're not catching balls that are hitting you between the numbers, the, the hip's not the problem there. You're, there's something wrong. You've, you've got a case of the yips, and you've got to – mentally, you've got to get over it and kind of figure it out because the team – listen, the team needs them. Odell or no Odell, the team – the team needs him, and they're paying him a, an unbelievable amount of money to just drop pass after pass after pass. So there has got to be some kind of give back. Uh, Galladay has got to figure it out in some way. And listen, I credit him for like his downfield blocking, and, and that's kind of why I was surprised that the Giants, you know, went away from him even after the, the second drop there. And you could argue that the first one maybe wasn't a drop, whatever the case may be. Two balls hit him in the hands, and both were incomplete. So. Any way you want to look at it, but still, Kenny Galladay is a good downfield blocker, and he's willing to be a downfield blocker. And I think that's incredibly important when you rely so heavily on your run game. And that's not a knock on Hodgins or any of the other wide receivers. It's just that, you know, with Sterling Shepard out, Galladay is probably their best downfield blocker. So um, the frustration with him must be significant to be willing to put that on the bench. And it's sort of easy to understand why, but Galladay's got to snap back. He's got to start making some catches, even if his offensive production is limited. As long as he's reliable and blocking downfield, that's really all the Giants need at this point. So he's got to figure it out. It's unbelievable. I mean, he's had all this time to kind of get it get it right, get his mind right. And if, if all we can get out of him is blocking, Dan, that is just – we're talking about the biggest bust in team history. you got to take what you can get. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, I know. But we're talking about the biggest bust in team history at this yeah, point with the it money. It is, unfortunately. Thank and, God, though. Gary, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, actually, there's part of me that feels bad for Galladay. Like, I, as a, as someone who loves the game of football and had played my entire life until, unfortunately, I was injured and couldn't anymore, um, I, I can't imagine the frustration that he's dealing with as a former number one thousand-yard receiver who, you know, was among the league leaders in touchdown receptions, who's all of a sudden relegated to 26 snaps, you know, in his return. He's got two receptions on the season. He hasn't scored a touchdown in almost three years, like – I, and then you're dropping passes when you do have the opportunity. The frustration that he must be feeling has, has got to be overwhelming. He's not even 30 years old yet. 
I mean, he was he was making like circus catches in in Detroit. He was a highlight reel over there. So yeah, it is maybe it is maybe facing his his former team will give him a little added juice. <laughs> you know, you maybe. gotta believe that he wants to go out there and have a big game, right? Like maybe we could leave him in Detroit. <laughs> Just leave him there. <laughs> leave him with the Lions. Here you go. Uh, but uh, okay, so at least Darius Slayton made a career. I mean, uh, a yeah. play. He made a play in this game. I mean, wow, uh, the speed uh, on that breakaway when he ran away with that that pass. I mean, that was. That was sweet. And then Daniel Jones, 153.3 passer rating, the highest for him in his career and the highest in the NFL this season, Dan. But, you know, DJ's not getting any credit for this win because the Giants pounded it with Saquon Barkley 35 times. I know you have a take on that. Let's do that before we get to uh, Giants-Lions. Yeah, I listen, it's, it's just it's so repetitive with Daniel Jones at this point. Like, it was all about the wins until he started winning. When he started winning, then it was about the QBR. Now his QBR is among the top 10 in the NFL, and people aren't interested in that anymore. It was turnovers until he eliminated the turnover problem. Now that doesn't matter anymore. It's only about stats, but it's not about any positive stats. His completion percentage, yeah, forget about it. He's not throwing enough he for, you know, throwing enough touchdowns. He's not throwing for enough yards. Forget the fact that his receivers lead the NFL in drops. That doesn't matter. And, and the criticisms they're running out of criticisms at this point. So now what they've resorted to is he's only succeeding because Saquon Barkley is succeeding. And listen, this is not a knock on Saquon at all. Saquon's having arguably an MVP type season, but on Sunday, you know, the giants had three touchdown drives on those three touchdown drives. Daniel Jones completed eight of his nine passes for 153 yards and two touchdowns on those same touchdown drives. Saquon Barkley ran the ball 15 times for 54 yards and scored a touchdown. That's 3.4 yards per carry. That's not getting the job done. And on the touchdown, uh, on the drive where uh, Saquon scored the touchdown, that was preceded and facilitated by two huge Daniel Jones third down conversions, both on third and long, uh, to put the Giants in the position to score that touchdown. And then they needed, you know, three additional blockers to get Saquon into the end zone. So to say that Barkley is specifically carrying Jones, it's not necessarily steeped in any sort of reality. Is he's helping? Of course, a dominant run game is helping. But again, look at the scoring drives. And, and again, I repeat myself, it's not a knock on Barkley. But the reality is that he's not carrying DJ in the way that so many people think that he's carrying DJ. Just Can we just all agree he's a winner? Daniel Jones is a winner. He's winning. He's, he's, just, turned, he's turned into a winner. There's no doubt absolutely. about it. Absolutely. He is a winning quarterback for the Giants, and he's making all the plays he needs to. And yeah, I mean... Yeah. How can you and I don't know how people rate? can watch some of these games and, and not be impressed with what Daniel Jones did. Like he was, he was magnificent on those three drives and that, you know, that pass to Slayton, people are going to argue while well, Slayton is, you know, the speedster who took it the whole way. Go watch that play again. Daniel Jones was backpedaling away from the pressure that was coming right into his face. The second the snap was off. Um, and he was falling away from Slayton, allowing him to, to get enough time to turn around uh, you know, during the route and then threw the ball falling backwards off of his heel. And it almost went 20 yards in the air. That is some serious arm strength. And he put it right on Slayton to where he could turn around and run, you know, run up the sideline. So yeah, credit to Slayton for burning it down the sideline, but that was probably Daniel Jones best throw of the entire season. I understand people are take committed Dan and they're going to poo poo, you know, uh, a game, but you can't poo poo. A 153.3 passer rating. You just can't do it. There's nothing to poo-poo there. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and again, that's with two, that's with two drops. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't remember, you know, I don't have them up in front of me right now, but I think it was like 13 of 17 Jones went for in the game. 
And and again, two of those were dropped. So, you know, a year and week in and week out, we see that it's like, oh, well, Daniel Jones didn't get to 200 yards. Maybe if his receiver started catching the damn ball, he'd be able to get over those 200 yards. Or maybe if players like Jack Anderson, poor guy, I can't believe I'm about to pile on him a little bit more. Get him, Dan. But, you know, if he didn't, you know, commit that penalty, that drive still goes on. How do you know Daniel Jones doesn't throw another touchdown right there or run for another touchdown right there? You know, he, he does he's not piling up these huge statistical numbers, not because the team doesn't trust them. They are a run-first team. There's no doubt about that. But he's very limited in the opportunities he has because of the drops, because of the penalties, and, and at times because of the very conservative play calling, which, you know, that's a trend over the last few weeks that the Giants have kind of gotten away from that earlier season aggression and are becoming a little bit more conservative now. So, you know, say whatever you want about the statistics. Daniel Jones is making the most of what he's got. And right now, other than Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas, he doesn't have a whole hell of a lot. Now, you know, Slayton is obviously coming back on and deserves his due. But, you know, you look around the league and ask yourself right now, who who is playing more complete and competent football? Is it Daniel Jones or is it Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, or Tom Brady? You tell me who's playing better football right now. That is a very polarizing question, Dan. I'm going to think about that here in the break. Let me think about that one, and I'll give you my take. I do love me. I do love me some Josh Allen, and he only has one and a half elbow now. So that's that's yeah, not, that's not yeah, fair. But he's also got what seven <laughs> interception in the last few weeks. Yeah, he does come in the red zone. He does. Love, I think Dayball needs to yell at him, just like he right. did to Daniel Jones, and then Josh Allen will stop doing that. Yeah, you're right. He's making the same mistakes right now, Josh Allen is that everybody had buried Daniel Jones for in the past. Yep. No. Hey, there's that's I like the take, Dan. It's it's a very that's a, that's a good take. We're gonna come back and figure out if the Giants can beat the the Lions at home this week and get to eight and two heading into Thanksgiving. We'll do that right after this. All right, we're back in the in the break there. We were we continued our conversation on Daniel Jones, and you got to be mad at him a little bit, Dan, for playing so well that uh, your prediction last week was not correct. We we picked the Giants uh, Houston spread at six and a half. You took the Texans. You took the Giants to win, but the Texans to cover. I love the pick after the line moved in the Texans' favor later in the week. It did. It moved a couple points. So, obviously, there was money on the Texans coming in. Uh, now, the Giants proved us wrong. They kind of controlled that game. And ha- I do blame Lovey Smith, though. Like, Lovey, <laughs> why are you kick so many? He loves the field goal, Dan. I, I mean, if he would have just scored a touchdown instead of all those field goals, it might have been you might have covered this one. But, you yeah. know, you got to give the Giants credit. But, man, Lovey Smith, what's up with him in the field goals, Dan? That was that was crazy. crazy. That, well, that last one, you know, it's it's weird because people are going to look at it and be like, I don't understand why he kicked the field goal. I get it. You know, you live to fight another day, and that's kind of the approach that he took there. They needed the they need the touchdown. They need the two-point. They needed the field goal. They figured, you know, they'd just take the field goal with time running down and, and bank on a onside kick and then, you know, maybe a Hail Mary or whatever. But they did turn the ball over twice in back-to-back series in the red zone. Um, so they cost themselves points on those series. Uh, they potentially took a touchdown off the board on the final, uh, on the final offensive series. Um, it was just a lot of weird. That's the NFL, you know. Sometimes you know the ball goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. I'm not going to complain over the fact that the Giants, you know, picked up a win uh, of eight points or more for you know pretty much the first time this season. Absolutely not. So you know the field goal at the end was a little weird. It made my prediction wrong, but the Giants still won, and that's really all that matters. That's absolutely correct. We're seven and two. Uh, and I'm I'm interested to get I'm very interested to get your take on this Lions game, Dan, because you've been very cryptic. I don't really know what your pick is going to be, but you have been cryptic with me this morning, so I'm I'm getting a little worried because we're seven and two, we're at home. 
the Lions freaking suck. I don't care that they score 30 points here and there. I don't care that they scored 30 on the on the Bears last week. Or 31 and 1. I know. They're 3 and 6. Uh, but so let's let's start here. The Giants, they're three point favorites. Let's start with this question, Dan, before you give us your prediction. Are these two teams closer than it would it would seem, right? The Giants are seven and two, the Lions are three and six. Are these two teams closer than it would appear? What what's your take on that? Uh yeah, I think they are. I do think they are, and I don't think it's a particularly wonderful matchup for the Giants. Oh, no, Dan. Uh, and I know that some people are going to go crazy here in this. And as a matter of fact, I've already had this conversation with some Giants fans, and they think I'm out of my mind. Um, <laughs> I do, too. Now, go on. Now, 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 remember this. I've said this before on the show. Our, our USA Today Sports Weekly articles are due uh, the Sunday prior. So before the Giants even played the Texans, I was forced to make a prediction on this game, and I predicted the Giants were going to win. Uh, by a slim margin. Um, and I've tried to convince myself since then that I want to stick to that prediction. Uh, but the further I dive into it, the more concerned I am that the Giants are going to be forced into a shootout. And they're just not built to win a shootout. They're just not, especially if their run defense continues to be as leaky as it is. Um, so looking ahead at the Lions game, I'm not nearly as confident as I was when I made that initial Sports Weekly prediction. And the further into this week I get, the more likely I believe it is that the Giants are going to lose this game. And I and I think that's very unfortunate for the Giants because things can get away from them really fast right now. It's almost like this game is a must-win because they immediately have to turn around and play the Cowboys in Texas on Thanksgiving. So they could go from 7-2 and two to 7-4 and four in the blink of an eye. So this game actually is a lot more important than it may seem to the naked eye. I just don't necessarily believe that it's a good matchup for the Giants. Now, I'm with you that the, the Cowboys looming on Thanksgiving, which is just a huge game, a huge spot, uh, that's going to be so fun. I mean, I, I guess not that you have to work on Thanksgiving Day on the holiday. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, uh, that's but, not you know, <laughs> But, you know, we'd all be watching the games anyway, right? So whatever. Right. Uh, you're just going to have to be working all day and all night so that is what that's that's what it is but so that that game looming next week does play into this uh but i i just i can't believe you're picking the the lions day to come into east rutherford and beat the giants home in this game i the the lions are not good they're not good they're just not i know they beat the packers and i know they beat the bears i know they've won two straight but like, why, why are you? Why are the Lions making you nervous here, Dan? I they're just they're not that good. I mean, I think their well, uh, their offense, I think, is kind of a smokescreen. I don't think they're as good as their average points per game would tell you. Believe me, the the Patriots aren't that good, and the Patriots beat them twenty nine to nothing. Uh, it, it was they're just not. You know, when you play good defense on them and make Jared Goff beat you, Dan, he can't. He blow. It's Jared Goff. Uh, so I don't. The Lions they have like the worst defense in football. I don't. Worry they about do. the Giants. They can come out here and but, lay a freaking stinker, Dan. Like the, right. like the, the Giants have played bad defenses this season, though, and they're still in one-score games <laughs> consistently. They're not scoring 30 That's points. why the spread's if, three points, right? Exactly. If they get into a shootout, they're, they're not going to be able to overcome it. They just they do not have the firepower. They don't have enough firepower for that. Um, they can't stop the run. Uh, there's, you know, They're going to be without Evan Neal again. They're going to be without Daniel Bellinger again, who's proven to be a huge, huge offensive loss for the Giants. Kenny Galladay can't get out of his own way. They're playing practice squad wide receivers at the X position. They're putting in three extra offensive linemen because the five just aren't getting the job done in terms of the running game. People are selling out the stop Saquon. Um, all of these things are going to factor into this this game come on sun, you know, coming on Sunday. And 
the Lions are getting hot. They're, they're a second-half team last year. There's, it appears they're going to be a second-half team again this year. Uh, they're turning it on right now. They're, they're not out of it in their own division, as crazy as that is. Um, so there's still obviously a lot to play for. They love their coach. They play hard for Dan Campbell. Um, you know, they're just, just, it just doesn't look like a good matchup. It doesn't look like good timing. And, and the Giants, obviously, whether or not they want to think about it in the back of their head, it's got to be looming that they've got to immediately turn around and play another game. Uh, another key game, another, you know, extremely important divisional game. And, you know, I just, I don't particularly like the matchup. I think, you know, again, if they get into a shootout, it's going to be their doom. Um, if, you know, all of a sudden they turn it on and they're able to stop the run and they really do force, you know, Goff to beat them, I think that plays a lot more into their hand. But, you know, it's not like the Giants are killing it against the pass either. They gave up 310, 312 yards to Davis Mills. And, not, not too much of a knock on Mills, but Jared Goff is a better talent uh, than Davis Mills, and, and the Lions have better receivers than the Texans do. Um, so, again, it just there's a, there's a lot of caveats. There's a lot of potholes here facing the Giants. I, lo- I love the great Danton. Uh, now, folks, I'm writing it down reluctantly, so it, li- we're taking Lions plus three. Uh, that seems to be the pick here. All right, so we're mm-hmm. taking – I'm writing it down. Oh, man, that's going to be hard for me to put my betting units on, Dan. But I, I do trust you more than anybody else in the business. Uh, so he, so I, I understand that the great Danton does not just make things up. He doesn't, he, he, these are well-thought-out picks. Now, you look at the Lions' schedule. A lot of Giants fans might not be super familiar with the Lions this year. They did play. Uh, they, they lost to the Eagles 38-35. They, they beat the Commanders 36-27. They lost to the Vikings 28-24. They lost to the, the Seahawks. You're, you're, yeah, you're that's about. that's what I'm saying, Dan. That's what I'm yep. saying. <laughs> they they lost to the Seahawks, 48-45, right? So they have gotten in in a lot of shootouts, and they beat the Bears this past week with Justin Fields running all over the place like a madman. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat the Bears 31-30. So uh, they do get into these shootouts. Dan's saying that this game could easily become a shootout. It's a bad spot with the Cowboys coming up on Thanksgiving, and uh, you get into a shootout with the Giants and, you know, Daniel Jones has no one he can really throw to. Uh, Kenny Galladay's dropping passes. OBJ is not here yet. Oh, you know, we'll, we're, we're not going to, hopefully he's here eventually, but I understand what you're saying, Dan. I understand what you're saying. If this thing turns into a shootout, the Giants are at a disadvantage and you just, you just take the points. Uh, so that's a tough one, they're man. Gonna have to, they're that's gonna a have tough to one. Play their same game. They're yep. going to have to play the same game that they played all year. They're going to have to find a way to control the clock. That's going to be the key to, to win in this game for the Giants. They have to control the clock. They cannot give Goff and that offense too many opportunities because the more opportunities they get, the more likely they are to score. And like I said, if it starts to become a game where the, the Giants are having to climb back by two scores or more, there's just nothing they could do because the Lions will be able to sell out completely on Barkley. 100% and, and then force, you know, players like, uh, you know, Hodgins, David Sills, you know, uh, Lawrence Cager, these guys that no <laughs> one's ever heard of before to beat them. And that's very much a disadvantage for the Giants. Well, as, as folks that have listened to the show uh, over the last few years know, um, I'm a Patriots fan. I watched the Lions play the Patriots earlier this year. The Lions look like the worst team in football. <laughs> the Pats won 29 to nothing, and their offense is just as bad as the uh, Giants is. And uh, the Cowboys, I think... That Cowboys game, the Cowboys won 24-6 to against the Lions. That was when Dak came back from his injury, Dan, after missing, you know, like six or seven weeks. I think that's the kind of score the Giants need, right? They need to just shut down the Lions, control the clock, and, you know, run the ball and win yeah, like 21-6, it. 21-7, 24-10, something like that. That's the kind of score we need. 
I mean, the Giants, listen, the Giants, to their credit, are entirely capable of playing that kind of game. Uh, but like the mistakes that we saw last week that they were able to overcome against the Texans, those drop passes, those penalties costing, you you know, first downs, costing points, can't have that. You can't have that against the Lions because they're going to, you know, maximize those opportunities. The more opportunities they get, the more points they're going to put on the board. And, and, and that just that can't be. So the Giants are going to have to play a flawless game. If they do that and they control the clock, they win. Uh, but, you know, in recent weeks against the Seahawks, last week against the Texans, you know, that not shooting themselves in the foot that served them so well early in the season, it's not serving them so well now because they're making entirely too many, way too many mistakes. All right, there you go. The great Dan Tan, he's taking the Lions plus three. How you feel about that, Giants fans? Our Twitter handles are... <laughs> I'm sure the, I'm going to get very respectful, loving messages. Twitter handles are in the description. <laughs> go ahead and let them know how you feel about that. I don't necessarily agree, but I got I to gotta go with the great Dan Tan. I never go against him. So, all right, I'm going to take your word for it, Dan. The, the Giants are in big trouble this week against the Lions. I love it. I love the take. It's great. And it, it, it does make sense when you think about it. Uh, I, I came in here. I'm just blind faith. I'm like, oh, Giants at home against a bad Lions team. Forget about it. Uh, we're not, I'm not worried about this game. Now I'm worried. Now I'm worried for the Giants after hearing your commentary, Dan. Uh, but a lot of previews going on Giants Wire between now and kickoff as we get ready oh, for yeah, this one. Tons. And, and luckily, hey, listen, usually I say, it's going to be, you know, a few days filled with injury reports. Luckily, that's not the case. The Giants came out of that last game pretty healthy. Uh, they're getting healthier. I think if we do have any injury articles, you know, possibly Shane Lemieux returning. Rodarius Williams has been activated. He's coming back. So to some degree, there's a lot of positive-related injury news. I don't think um, most of these guys are going to get back onto the field prior to Thanksgiving. I think that's going to be the aim for most of them. Uh, so they might be a little bit shorthanded going into this weekend, uh, but they are trending in the right direction there, and I think that's going to serve them particularly well on Thanksgiving. Um, other than that, a lot of you know preview articles uh, going up, a lot of you know some hit, looking back in history between the Giants and Lions. That's always fun for the older generation of fans to look back on some of those games. Yes, uh, for me personally, it's always fun to write about Barry Sanders, arguably one of my favorite non-Giants of all times. I think he's such an explosive, entertaining player. Um, so yeah, there's going to be all kinds of good stuff on Giants Wire over the coming days. All right, good stuff as always, Dan. We covered a lot of stuff, different kind of topics. This is a this is a weighty, heavy podcast, man. There's a lot a lot to chew on this week, and we left so much out too. I, that's, I know that's the, that's the crazy difference about this season for compared sure. to recent seasons. So we much were struggling to to. for content. Might be one of judge, our judge. Might be one of our longest shows yet. This one, yeah. you know, we're squeezing yeah. so much in. So uh, always fun. I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about, and we will be back next week, right, with the short week to talk. Uh, Giants Cowboys on Thanksgiving. I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, folks, thanks for joining us. We will catch you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.